Greetings. I'm John McKee. I'm the editor of Messianic Apologetics. And on behalf of my friend, Judah Hamango, I'd like to welcome you to the first episode of the Messianic Walk show. Yeah. As many of you are aware, a few weeks ago, I interviewed him uh, on a very important topic, can Messianic Jews and Hebrew roots talk to each other? And as a result of that, uh, going so well and being received very well, we started to throw some ideas around, you know, we need to do something more regularly. And so we've come up with this idea of having a bi-monthly Messianic walk show where we discuss a lot of the hot issues and controversies circulating in the Messianic movement. And wouldn't you know it, today we are going to start with a very, very hot topic. Uh, (laughs) Judah wrote a blog uh, several weeks ago, I think, called Responding to No Longer Torah Observant. Uh, And this recorded a, went through the history of a really good friend of yours who has left things messianic. Mm -hmm. And you know, you get to share with us a little later on uh, what some of the dynamics were that got him to want to leave messianic things. But uh, when I read through this uh, blog, and I have my printout right here, and it's it's 39 pages. I have to use <laughs> yeah. a binder clip to put it oh, together. Oh, my word. Yeah. Okay, it's 39 <laughs> pages. Um, so, uh, I mean, there's a lot of information in here, but but I don't think that what you've described is isolated just to your friend. I think other people have gone through something similar. And sometimes the situations are different, but ultimately it's like I see the Messianic world, the Hebrew roots world. I see all of these problems out there. Mm -hmm. You know, what kind of a future is it for my family? You know, what, what's, what's the long-term game plan with this, uh, movement? And then, you know, I put all this time into it and it seems like I've perhaps wasted my life. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I think that there are some people who uh, got involved in, in this movement, this, this messianic Hebrew roots thing around, uh, you know, 15 to 20 years ago. And yes. now they're seeing that. What is its long-term plan? What is its long-term mission? What is its long-term purpose? Uh, we talk yeah. about, we talk about the messianic mission. We talk about things like Jewish outreach, evangelism, helping non-Jewish believers embrace their faith heritage in Israel scriptures. Uh, and that's great on paper, but you know, in my experience, I've seen so many people from non-Jewish backgrounds in particular come into the messianic community and they're really excited. And I mm-hmm. just say, well, we'll see where they are in three years. Yeah, yeah, indeed, indeed. Well, um, will they still be here, or will the aura of looking at Jesus in the feasts and you know connecting to the weekly Torah portions will mm-hmm. that wear off? And then all of a sudden, they're hit with stuff like, you know, the Earth is flat, or polygamy, or some other crap. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, you've written a very hot and spicy blog, and <laughs> it is. It really mm-hmm. is. Yeah. Yeah. It raises, like you said, it raises um, some issues that aren't unique to this gentleman, Jonathan. Um, I myself have witnessed this. I've run a congregation, uh, helped run a congregation for 10 years. Um, and I saw a lot of the issues that he raised, you know, so this isn't some guy out of left field um, with a unique experience. This is something a lot of messianic folks, a lot of Hebrew roots folks in particular 
have experienced. I know, John, you've also seen a lot of this. So it's it raises some issues, some difficult issues, but it's not unique to Jonathan. This is something that um, is really too prevalent. Uh, some of the issues he he raises that we'll get into in this podcast, but um, many of them, it, they're, they're too prevalent in our movement. Um, and I think that's one of the reasons why uh, I wanted to write that post is uh, let folks know, hey, this is a problem and it's causing some people to even leave our movement um, and it needs to be addressed. Well, right now we are at a very prestigious moment, I think, in history. Uh, you know, during the past year with the whole coronavirus thing and the lockdowns and then some of these riots going on here in America yeah. and now mm-hmm. the election, uh, there's a lot of uncertainty regarding the future. Indeed. And, and, you know, we can go into, you know, why this, why that, how did this happen? You know, all of those kinds of, of theories. But more than anything else, the Lord is trying to get our attention and Agreed, yes. seeing that, you know, we as collectively as, as Messianic people, we put off many issues far, far too long. So I hope that, you know, this blog and, and, and this Messianic walk show can get some things out there on the table. It's not just you. It's not just me opening our mouths. You, you see that this is a, these kinds of experiences are not isolated. But as we discussed before starting today, a lot of the things that you've listed here, uh, and you know, in part one, you there are ten problems on your list. Mm. Problems with the Hebrew roots movement in the blog. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, see, seeing all these, seeing all these things, most most people when they attend a messianic congregation or even a, a larger conference event, sometimes they don't see any of these things discussed by some of the big leaders or by yeah. the congregational rabbi or pastor or, or whoever, whatever title they take. Yes. A lot of these ty- a lot of these topics are what people discuss during the own egg afterwards. <laughs> That's um, right. Yeah. In fact, a lot of these, I would see in my own congregation, people talking about them at own egg um, and, and kind of, outside of the um, the direction that the congregation uh, leadership wants to go. Uh, things like flat earth, the, the leadership's not going to discuss that. It's not, it doesn't bear fruit. They don't want the congregation to go in that direction, but those sorts of things would be talked about in the community kind of outside of the leadership's direction. Um, if I can add something here too, with this Messianic Walk podcast as we're launching it, episode one, I really want um, this to address issues that are kind of the practical, the pragmatic aspects of faith, like things people are going to run into in the messianic world that, as you mentioned, aren't always addressed by leadership. Um, so I want to, that's one of my uh, goals with this podcast is to help folks uh, walk with the Lord closer. Um, so that's, that's one of my goals. And I'm, I'm with you on goal two there, which is, to raise some of these issues that often aren't addressed on the congregational level. Well, I know that in my experience being part of, you know, multiple messianic congregations, I've gotten right. some of my best quote unquote intelligence by eavesdropping on people's conversations <laughs> during Oneg mm. in line. Mm. And, yes. <laughs> in and, line. To get the food or something, huh? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I just and 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 I, and and I think to myself, you don't know who I am, do you? 
You have no idea that I am literally recording your conversations in my mind, and I'm going to go tell somebody afterwards. Yep, yep. And, uh, yep. and it's just it, – it, it really and – and they're just blatant about it. They're just open about mm. it. And uh, mm-hmm. way back when it was, oh, you need to get a copy of this book or you need to get this. And you know, people would get some of the – you know, publications circulating around the turn of the millennium. I'm not going to mention any names. They would give them out as though they were free samples of drugs. Oh, my gosh. In the yeah, congregation. Yeah. Now, the of course, yeah. <laughs> course, now it's just, well, here, go to this YouTube channel. Go to this group. Mm. Uh, and, and, I, and I know that congregational leadership, you know, they've got a lot on them, but we can't let some of these things just go unaddressed indefinitely. Yep. You've got to right. talk about them because if you don't talk about them, somebody else will. Like if you mm-hmm. don't talk to your kids about, can I get away with saying this sex? Mm-hmm. Somebody else will, and they will mm-hmm. discuss it wrong. Yeah. Yeah. You know, indeed. And, and that, and you know, in the uh, 1990s, so many people I grew up with, uh, their parents thought that the Sunday school was, t- or the youth group, they were teaching the, their, their kids about sex. the, Youth minister thought the parents were teaching the kids, but really it ended up being the school and more so mm. the, the the fellow students on the school bus. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. you add Bill and Monica to the mix and then it just blew up. <laughs> so, yeah. so, I mean, that, so hopefully we can learn from those kinds of mistakes and, and mm-hmm. we can discuss uh, some of these, some of these very important matters. It's good to get it out in the open. Um, and I think that's something that you and I can bring to the table. We've been in this movement for, a long time uh, for myself, pretty much all of my life, uh, for yourself, decades. And so I think we can we can bring that experience and, and, and say, all right, here's the things that are often discussed among the community. We and we need to bring them to the table and say, hey, here, here are the problems here. Here's here's room for growth. Okay, well, let's go. Let's uh, give me a little bit of background, or give our, the audience mm-hmm. a little bit of background about this blog responding to no longer Torah observant. Because the yep. whole the whole problem of people leaving messianic things, it's not isolated. About mm-hmm. the only real positive thing I have to say about this is your friend didn't leave faith in Yeshua. He still yeah. believes mm-hmm. in Yeshua, and yes. he's now gone to an evangelical church, it sounds like. Yeah, Baptist so, church. Yep. So, so yeah, that's the background. So he didn't decide, okay, I'm sick and tired of this Yeshua thing. I'm going to go and become a proselyte to Judaism, mm, or, I'm, no. or I'm going to start practicing my own Messiah-less form of Yahwism, for lack of mm. a better label. So mm-hmm. he did He did go into an environment of, of Messiah followers. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So some background there. Um, so Jonathan, I, I had met Jonathan through my sister. Uh, my sister and her husband attended the same congregation for a time. And um, I don't know, a few years ago on a family vacation, uh, Jonathan and his family came with. Uh, and so we were down in Florida and we spent a week together, had a, had a wonderful time, got to meet them, know them. And at the time they were messianic too, uh, attending that same congregation as my sister. And about, uh, in the beginning of July, so just a couple of months ago, Jonathan, um, I had knew, I had known that he was struggling with some of the issues in his own congregation. 
Um, we had chatted about how to address some of these difficult things that were going on in his congregation, some of the things we mentioned in the post. But in July, he posted, hey, um, this is going to come as a shock to many of you, a relief to some others, uh, but I'm leaving the Messianic movement. I, he was a teacher at this congregation, um, but he said, hey, I saw a bunch of problems in, in um, my congregation and in the movement in general. And those problems prompted me to start uh, questioning my theology about the Torah. Uh, and so he said, hey, um, Hebrew roots is basically, as he summed it up, is you should keep the law of Moses. That's Hebrew roots in a nutshell, as he said. Um, and uh, that's what was preached at my congregation. That's what I preached. But um, I've had a change of heart, change of, uh, of theology about the Torah. Um, and so given that, then I talked to him privately and a little bit on over Facebook too, but I said, hey, I would like to address your post. I would like to respond to it, you know, and respond um, in the right way. I think there's, there's a kind of, some people come against uh, a, a theological change as if we're now enemies. But as you mentioned, John, Jonathan's not, he didn't abandon faith in Yeshua or anything like that. Um, he just said, hey, I'm attending a Baptist church, and it's a Bible-believing church, and this is a good place for me and my family. Um, so I, I responded in kind like that. He's he's a brother in Messiah. It doesn't mean that he's some heretic now. I disagree with him about uh, maybe the relevance of Torah. Um, but uh, that's kind of the background that prompted all this. And then over a couple weeks, I wrote that post. And as you mentioned, it's a very long post. I'm sure we'll have it in the show notes. Um, but um, I addressed his concerns, and to be honest, uh, in part one that we're addressing today, almost all of his concerns are legit. I don't know what else to say. Like, if they weren't, I would push back, but his concerns that he saw in the Hebrew Roots movement are true problems, in my view, um, in in Hebrew Roots. Um, so that was part one, and I think we're going to talk a, a lot about that today. And then part two, he says, Given those problems in part one, I changed my theology about the Torah, and that's part two. Um, and that's maybe where I have more disagreement with him. Um, so that's the background. That's where he stands, and that's how I ended up writing this post about um, this man who is no longer Torah observant, no longer part of Hebrew roots. Experience, I think many of us have discovered, can be a very harsh teacher. Mm. And... None of us want to have to learn a lesson by firsthand experience. You know, why do we study history? Why do we study the Bibles? To learn from someone else's experience so you don't repeat it. Yep. And I think we also have to keep in mind if, and, and I believe this, I teach this, you know, very strongly, if the Messianic movement is the anti-move of God because everything that it represents, you know, we're, we're coming back to this, you know, point where we left off when Yeshua ascended into heaven. What it means effectively is everything that can go wrong will go wrong. And, and I, I mean, and, and once I accepted that reality, then it's like, okay, well, of course we're going to see this and we're going to see that. And we're going to see all these really bad Mm -hmm. false teachings. Now Mm -hmm. in the past week, uh, I read an article online Uh, It had some research from, I think it was Lifeway, that one-third of all evangelicals today do not believe that Jesus is God. I saw that. 
and we're going to go into some of these issues of Christology, yep. but, and, and, you know, the issue of is Yeshua God that that is present in today's messianic world, but one third of all evangelicals don't believe Jesus is God. It's a shocking number. I, I was, very but actually I, I'm not surprised at all. Really? The, reason, the reason I'm not surprised at all is when I was in seminary all the way back in 2005 to 2008, we yeah. learned that half of all people in today's church are there for one reason. It's to keep the seat warm. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah. if you could, so psychologically, if you can process that, there's just a lot of people, they go to church because it's a cultural thing to do. Mm. Uh, in our, it's not a conviction of the heart. Mm. In our, in our, area, the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex, a lot of people go to church to make business contacts, if you can believe oh, wow, that. Wow. So they're not going there for, for faith. They're going there solely for business contacts. All right. You know, there are plenty of people who go to church for reasons other than to worship God and to read the Bible and to get yeah. some kind of teaching. Mm-hmm. So this is, so, you know, some of these problems, they're not, Look at it from a slightly larger perspective of what's happening uh, in evangelicalism, and, and it's and it's hardly a surprise. Yeah. And today, now with the availability to go online and to get information, we can be exposed to so many points of view. And spiritual yes. leaders are not always equipped to to be able to handle it and 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 handle mm-hmm. the almost uh, fire hose of questions that they get uh, lodged at them. And in yes. today's messianic community, where we believe on some level we're returning to the first century experience of the early believers, a lot of questions get raised. And, you know, every place is different. You know, mm-hmm. the congregation you were a leader in, it was different than Jonathan's congregation, the congregations I've been a part of, the groups that I visited. Uh, everything's on a case-by-case basis. Uh, but But when you look at this list, I think – most people who are paying attention uh, at, at, at a deeper level, they're not just going to a Messianic congregation because it's Saturday church yeah. or, or they're going there because, well, I'm a Jewish believer and I wouldn't go to church. So I'm doing mm. this. The people who are serious students of, of God's word, they're, they're yes. serious about their faith. They've already, they've encountered this on some level. Yeah, I, I, I agree. Like we said, I think it's, it's very prevalent. Um, and it's not to say that, some of the problems that Jonathan raises that we'll discuss here are uh, non-existent in the evangelical world. It's not the case, uh, but it seems they're far too prevalent in the Hebrew roots movement in particular. And like you said, folks who are serious about the movement, um, who have a calling in the movement, I, I suspect those folks are going to recognize some of the issues we're, we're going to discuss. Right. And, and I just want to say that, okay, so your friend Jonathan, and I don't, yeah. I don't know him. I haven't met him, but you know, he could have had a midlife crisis mm. and decided I'm finished with this. I'm out of this. There's no, I don't see a future in this. Uh, I, everyone who is in leadership is going to go through some form of this at some point. Like I'm, mm. I'm, I'm out of this. I'm finished mm. with this. Mm. Uh, People who are evangelical pastors, they go through some point where it's like, is it worth it? Mm. All I, you know, I don't get enough compliments when I'm doing the right thing, but they were, but everyone's quick to tell me when I'm doing the wrong thing. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah. And in his case, I I don't know if that's, I I wouldn't say that he had some, I mean, I, maybe I, I don't know the details well enough, but from what I gathered, 
he saw these problems and those problems made him question. I, I, I welcome questioning. I think we oftentimes need to reevaluate our, our beliefs, our convictions and see why, why do we believe those things? Why are, why are we, um, preaching those things? Why are those our convictions in the first place? Um, but the problems themselves, I think, are the, the big issues that made him question. And those problems can be addressed in Hebrew roots. And I think we need to. Well, we definitely need to be talking about this. So let, so your blog, Responding to No Longer Torah Observant, it's divided yep. into a part one and a part two. And there is a yes. link in the description. So we highly recommend everybody read this. We're just not talking into air here. We're actually, yes. <laughs> I've read this. Judah has written this. Uh, you know, the part one, you have uh, problems in the Hebrew roots movement. That's what we're going to address today. And the next yeah. time, you've got a list of theological problems. Yeah, yeah. So let's just hit these things and 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 you know, tell me about or tell tell us about some of the things that your friend Jonathan went through. And mm-hmm. yes, these are all legitimate concerns that we have. Yeah, yeah. So let's take that first one. So Jonathan mentions that uh, in his congregation. Um, he never uh, saw an outreach for for um, the salvation message to say, hey, um, you need to turn from your sin, turn to God, uh, invite the Lord into your life, uh, repent and turn to God. That that salvation message um, that is, you know, very well known in the event, evangelical world is missing from Hebrew roots. And he said, I, in all my years in the movement, he said, I never saw, and, you know, 16 years in the movement or so, uh, he said, I never saw a single person, you know, give that altar call, ask people to uh, to turn to the Lord, to bring in lost people. Never saw it. And he goes, and that includes me. He said, I never, I never extended that invitation either. Hmm. And he said, isn't that a problem? Because given Yeshua's, final command on earth to go into all nations and preach the gospel and to make disciples of all nations. Why is that missing from Hebrew roots? And uh, I, I, I think he's, he's right to, to an extent there in that it is missing from Hebrew roots. I don't see that often either. Jonathan mentioned that so many times the outreach, if you will, of Hebrew roots is outreach to Christians to make them become Torah observant. And he said, you know, that's not the outreach of, of the gospels. What Yeshua was saying to go to the lost and make disciples of, of all nations. So yeah, that's, that's, um, that's objection number one that he raised. I'd be curious for your uh, feedback on that, John. Well, having interacted over the years and having been a part of groups that carry labels like Hebrew roots as well as Messianic Judaism Mm -hmm. as a broad rule, as a broad rule, uh, the Hebrew roots groups tend to be very heavily focused on Torah, Torah observance, going out there and connecting with evangelicals, trying to get them to, you know, connect to their faith heritage in Israel scriptures, Mm -hmm. but very, very light on, are you saved? Are you born again? This is a matter of sanctification. It's mm-hmm. not a matter of your salvation. It's mm-hmm. a um, very, very light on that. And so that's why there's a lot of legalism in Hebrew roots. And, and, and I, over the years, have legitimately wondered how many of these people really do know the Lord? 
or mm-hmm. do they have a relationship wow. with God? Do they, is their relationship with the Lord or is it with the Torah? You know, mm-hmm. is the mm-hmm. Torah more important than God? I mean, I, I, I really do wonder sometimes. And, uh, but as a general rule, uh, Hebrew roots tends to be more focused on Torah than declaring the good news. Now, Messianic Judaism, on the other hand, um, you know, some, and, and, and I would say this is a broad rule because yep. its very purpose is out there to declare the good news of Israel's Messiah to the Jewish community. It yes. is more evangelistic. And so you do see much more of an emphasis on, hey, this congregation is, is, is to be a safe space for Jewish people, for Messianic Jewish believers to bring their non-believing family. Yeah. You know, we're trying to get them primed to, you know, who is Yeshua of Nazareth to mm-hmm. you? Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and so you, so you see that mission very much, you know, present in a lot of Messianic Judaism. Uh, of the, I don't want to get into any of the denominational labels, but, you know, one, you know, is very, very much known for, for doing that. Um, and it, 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 it's met with, with various degrees of success, uh, in terms of Torah. Ultimately, it's just an issue of it's between you and the Lord, and it's a matter of you and the Holy Spirit and what the Holy Spirit convicts you to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's not as Torah-heavy as the Hebrew Roots movement is, but it does recognize yeah. that it has a role to play in one's sanctification. And as somebody who, in his heart, is evangelical, I'm, I, I can live with that uh, mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. Uh, legalism is something that you don't see a, a great deal of, whereas Hebrew Roots does tend to foster a lot of legalism. Uh, so yeah. I, I, you know, Jonathan's observations are broadly correct. And, and believe me in, you know, my biggest challenges over the years have with Hebrew roots, people have not been over the Torah's validity. It's been, how do you apply this in today's post-resurrection era where the centrality of Yeshua's work is, is supposed to be there. And I, I don't know how yes. much it's actually there in a lot of people. Um, maybe mm-hmm. some people are going through a phase that they just need to have the Lord slap them upside the head and, 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 and they'll get out of it. But how much of that really is a phase or, or are we dealing with unregenerated people who they're trying mm-hmm. to compensate for the lack of the Holy Spirit? Yeah. <laughs> we don't know. I mean, we don't know, but these are things that, that, that are, that are present. And, uh, you know, when I tell, when I tell people on the Hebrew root side, look, my number one problem with Hebrew roots, because you're claiming to be biblical, you know, yeah. you're claiming to put God's plan for Israel at the center of everything that you're doing. What about Romans 9, 10, and 11? You know, mm-hmm. are you concerned about Jewish evangelism? Because that's, that's connected right. to the return of Yeshua. That's just not Indeed. about, that's just not about just declare the good news to all nations. That's about when we see this massive Jewish salvation come, come to pass, the, the, the clock is ticking. Yeah, yeah. Paul says it'll be like life from the dead. We're talking the resurrection there. It's it's a powerful thing. And yeah, you're right. That's often missing from Hebrew roots. Um, I've pointed out too that Hebrew roots, I think, has found a good thing. And that good thing is this. The Torah still has something to say to us today. And I think that often is missing from some Christian denominations where the Torah is seen as just, oh, you know, oh, Leviticus, it's the worst book in the Bible. How could we ever teach from it? Um, I, Hebrew roots found that good thing, right? But I think sometimes we've found a good thing, <clears throat> but disregarded the best thing, which is the embodiment of the Torah, Messiah himself. 
and that that broken focus um it's it's almost torah without messiah or lacking messiah has resulted in abuses of the torah yes i i would definitely agree with that so um moving on the, the, your second uh problem mm-hmm. listed is degrading the new testament yeah yeah um and i should say to just as kind of a, a preface to all of these objections um, this is really Jonathan describing problems in his corner of the messianic world, not the whole messianic world, right? So we're talking really Hebrew roots in particular. Right, but um, these things mani- of- these things manifest across mm-hmm. the spectrum anyway. Fair enough, fair enough. So, I think so these some things, of them yeah. the, some of the specific details are different, but the yeah. the presence of you know no gospel declared or well the mm-hmm. New Testament isn't as important as I once thought. I mean yeah. those those are present across the board. Interesting. Yeah, fair enough. I think the the no gospel one, like you kind of already mentioned, that is less a problem in in Jewish Christianity and Messianic Judaism. Um, but yeah, that that's that's fair that's a fair point. Yeah, so the second one, degrading the, the New Testament, um, Jonathan said, and I'm just gonna quote him here, the community I was a part of taught that the New Testament was not scripture. It was divinely inspired commentary, but not scripture. And I even believed this for a time and I was wrong. And he kind of gives some additional commentary on that. But basically he's saying in his own community, he saw people saying, and he once believed too, that the New Testament itself wasn't scripture. It was just commentary on the scripture. I've seen this on occasion. It usually takes the form of, well, the Bible that Yeshua and the disciples knew was just the Hebrew Bible, you know, just the Old Testament, as we would call it today, just the Hebrew Bible. Therefore, everything else is outside of that. And therefore, the New Testament, the Gospels, the Epistles, everything is just commentary on the Bible. I think that is a real problem because it undermines who we are as Messiah's followers. Everything we know about Messiah Virtually all we know about Messiah is from the New Testament, from the Gospels. And to say that that's not scripture, that that's something less than, it means something less than the book of Isaiah, for example, um, it, it degrades our faith. It undermines our faith. And I think it sets some people up for conversion to Judaism because it's not a far leap then to say, well, if the New Testament isn't scripture, then how exactly am I different than uh, an Orthodox Jew? I just recognize the Tanakh as the Bible, and that alone is the Bible. Um, and indeed, we've seen a lot of apostasy from Hebrew roots in particular, um, but indeed the broader Messianic movement too, apostasy to Judaism because of lower views of the New Testament. Well, I, as somebody who is involved in biblical studies, um I mean, I've never had the issue of, is the New Testament not scripture? I've never mm. gone through that. Mm. Uh, but I, I can understand, you know, people from an evangelical background when they come into this movement and then they've got people who, you know, a former pastor, a former Sunday school teacher, something like that. And they come and they just barrage these people with, don't yeah. you know, you've been bewitched. Haven't you read Galatians? Haven't you read, you know, Hebrews? Haven't you read Romans? Mm. And they are barraging people with, you know, several verses or half quotes, uh, and yeah. these people don't know how to respond, uh, and they certainly don't have any 
competency in Greek or <laughs> the ability to join to a theological conversation. And sometimes the resources out there from a messianic perspective are, are not what they should be. And so they think, well, I don't know what to do with the New Testament. Uh, I'm just going to treat it as some kind of vague commentary and, mm. and retreat to the safe zone, which is the Tanakh, you know, yeah. because that's yeah. all safe. Now, the interesting thing is from a biblical studies perspective, the further back you go in history, the less and less evidence you have for something. So, you know, a lot of people who will go after, well, we don't know who exactly wrote the Gospels because all those, you know, names, they're just just, uh, assigned arbitrarily. Or how do we know Paul really wrote these letters? There are scholars who think that these were written several generations after Paul. Mm -hmm. And how do we know which John is which? John was one of the most popular Mm -hmm. names in the first century. (laughs) You know, these these kinds of reasons. Yes. Okay. Now, are you going to hold the Tanakh scriptures to the same standard? Because the further back we go, I mean, we, you know, for example, we're never going to be able to find uh, evidence in the Middle East. You know, Abraham was here. We're just Mm, not going to find it. Indeed. you know, you get into Genesis, particularly Genesis 1 to 11, there are pagan myths. There are Mesopotamian myths that mirror the Hebrew scriptures, you know, very closely. So mm-hmm. which came first? How do we know that the Jewish exiles to Babylon didn't pick this up and change a few of the names and the themes here and mm-hmm. there? Uh, I mean, there are people who have been piecing, they've been pulling the scriptures apart for centuries. That's right. Uh, yeah. So I, I find it very very wrong for people to they, they, they pick apart the apostolic writings, but they don't hold the Tanakh to the same standard. Uh, and they're unwilling, for, they're unwilling for you to even bring this up too. Um, mm. Yeah. Yeah. You just hit something that I've seen in my time in the messianic world. I've actually seen someone who uh, left messianic faith and I'm not saying Jonathan's going to do that. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just commenting on what you said, which is someone left the messianic faith uh, because they lowered the credibility of the New Testament, and they believed all of these things that anti-missionaries had been saying to them about the New Testament. They get in, they become, you know, they convert to, mess, to, to Orthodox Judaism. And when they get into Orthodox Judaism and they apply that same standard, if they ever get around to doing that, that same critical standard that they applied to the New Testament, suddenly it's like, wait, is the Old Testament reliable? So you're, you're right. I think these folks have an um, uh, imbalanced standard, a very critical one to the New Testament. They're not taking that same standard to the Old Testament. Right. I mean, because ultimately it's going to go back to, are you sure all human beings come from Adam and Eve? Right. I mean, yeah. I mean, I, I, you know, and you know, I have a, uh, I have an uncle who is a Jewish non-believer. In fact, he's a Jewish atheist. Uh, and those are the kinds of questions that he'll, he'll pose to people. Sure. Oh, I, I've, I've studied more about world religion, Judaism, Christianity than anyone else. And, you know, Jews don't believe that. And because we're enlightened now and we don't, we, this is just mm. a cultural thing. Uh, yeah, there, there's some, you, you, you know, you, 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 you put this list together of problems. Uh, but but yet it, it's representative of all of these types of issues that we've just been unwilling to discuss and unwilling to 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 see you mm-hmm. know uh, you know commented on in in our faith community. Yeah, yeah, and I'll, I'll, final thought on that too. I, I feel like if folks uh, reject the New Testament, 
I don't think those folks stay in messianic faith long. Again, speaking from experience, that if if you end up rejecting the New Testament or undermining the Gospels, um, one doesn't remain a follower of Messiah uh, from from that very for very long. You've basically undermined your faith, and so I, I consider that a a kind of heresy. And and I mentioned in the post, I don't throw that term around lightly. I hate when people say heresy over the slightest thing. But in this case, um, if we throw out the Gospels and say that's not, um, it's not from God or it's it's not Scripture, it's not reliable. I feel like we're on a path that leads us away from God, uh, certainly away from Messiah. Well, I think people who degrade the apostolic scriptures, the New Testament, mm-hmm. they themselves, as well as a lot of their their critics, you know, again, you know, former pastors, Sunday school teachers. Too many people believe that the that the Bible was written directly to them, which mm. it was not. Mm-hmm. That's and right. and uh, so, you know, the people who think the Bible was written directly to them, rather than we need to understand what these things meant to their original audience first, and then deduce principles for today. Yep. They, whether they know it or not, they already have a a theological instability worked into them. Mm. Uh, just today, I watched a, a video. Uh, with uh, uh, with by Rabitzin, Rachel Wolf. She's part of the MJAA. Uh, she was giving this presentation, you know, back in 2006, uh, trying to understand the Jewish worldview today and and being relevant to Jewish people in order to declare the good news. And, and she yes. said, "Look, a lot of people out there, they'll quote Paul, who says, you know, Jews seek signs and Greeks seek wisdom, and they think that well, if we just have all these massive charismatic signs today, that." will just attract all of these Jewish people to Messiah faith. And she said that is absolutely wrong. Not Jews the case the, today. She said Jews in the first century would have mm-hmm. would have wanted science. But today, Jews are more interested in wisdom. They're more interested in philosophy. They're more interested in the mm-hmm. latest, uh, you, know, you know, scientific theory or, or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And so that's a, that's a prime example of where you have to understand what certain things meant for their original audience and then properly deduce principles. But so much of this low view of the, of the scripture comes from people who think the Bible was written directly to them. Mm-hmm. And, and, and yes, there are a lot of pastors. There, there are rabbis in the Messianic community even who are guilty of promoting a culture where the Bible is written directly to you. And, and mm-hmm. that needs to be uh, corrected as best as possible. It's a difficult issue, you know, just talking about, uh, again, mess- the messianic walk. Like in our, in our walk, it's difficult, it's a difficult thing to read the Bible, recognize that it's written to someone else. Off, like with Paul's letters, it's written to a community that has a certain set of problems they're dealing with. It's difficult to take that and figure out how to apply it to your life. You know, it's one of the, um, things I think we have to wrestle with, um, you have these words. We recognize they're from God. They're wisdom. It's good for us, um, but it's also not directly to us. Uh, so it's it's a difficult thing, man. All right. So your next point here is slanderous views mm. of Paul. Yeah, and, yeah. And I would suspect I, I I don't want to put words into your mouth here, but mm-hmm. you know, if people disregard the apostolic scriptures or New Testament, they're not just disregarding the Gospels. Yeah, they're disregarding Paul. Yeah, this one I'd say is more common than the previous one. So Jonathan, just quoting him here, he said, I saw a teaching gaining in popularity. And that teaching is 
that Paul is a false apostle because he was teaching against Torah. And then he puts in, in um, parentheses, just think about that contradiction for a moment. Um, so he saw that people were throwing out Paul because Paul contradicts Torah. My comment to him on this is, okay, I have seen this too. Um, as I recall, there's even a, a pretty well-known Hebrew roots teacher, not against Paul, but against the book of Hebrews at least. Um, yes, that's Monty Judah. Yeah, okay. That, that right. happened That happened 15 years ago. <laughs> yeah. Is he, and, and does he still believe that to your knowledge? I believe you know? he does. Um, yeah. And yet he is still very well-known and very well-liked by many people. Yeah, um, yeah. And, and it's, and it's, uh, I think it's a, it's a travesty that people know what he believes about Hebrews, but yeah, but he's so good on everything else. Mm, And mm. it's like, if you don't hold to a high view of the canon of scripture, it doesn't Mm -hmm. mean that there aren't going to be difficult things. Of course, they're difficult things in terms of of how do we know who the author really is of this or who do, how Mm. do we know, you know, how to interpret this? Yeah, sure. With Hebrews, there's matters about the temple and it was, but, uh, but, but you need to keep the conversation going. And, yeah. mm-hmm. uh, as I recall, a number of, uh, all the way back in 2005, he got into a major debate with a Christian pastor on, and, and the, and the, the, the way the debate was focused was all of the Torah is to be followed today or none of the Torah is to be followed today. Mm. And the debate was lost on both sides from the beginning. Mm, I see. I, I see. Mean, okay. And and basically, the pastor uh, read some things from Hebrews that Monty was completely unprepared to mm. respond to, and as a result, he came up with this teaching that Hebrews was not holy scripture. Mm, I see. I see. In Jonathan's case here, um, I, I guess the rejection of Hebrews would kind of fit into this, but he just sees that uh, people who in Hebrew roots who would come across difficult passages from the epistles. Uh, maybe things from Galatians, maybe things from Romans um, that sound anti-Torah, you know. Um, maybe it's speaking against uh, works or keeping the Torah for your salvation, things of that nature. Or even more broad, general um, statements like Paul says in Romans. I know you've addressed this one, John, about, you know, the that Messiah is uh, the the end of the Torah for all who believe. And I know it can be translated goal and all that. Um, but some of these difficult statements, people would take those and rather than maybe wrestle with them and, and see, you know, is, is this, am I understanding this right? Or is there, um, what are, what's the contemporary scholarship on these? What, what are scholars thinking about this? Um, some people will just come to that, read it themselves, and say, well, this goes against my theology, therefore I'm throwing out the whole book. I'm throwing out Paul's letters, you know, or, or whatever that may be, all the epistles. So, yeah, um, slanderous views of Paul that he's he's anti-Torah, therefore uh, he's he's like a false apostle. This is grievous to me because uh, we see one of the objections the Orthodox Jewish world has to Messianic faith is this very criticism. They'll, they'll say that Paul is um, the deceiver, um, that he, he deceived um, the Gentiles into believing in, in an anti-Torah Jesus. Um, Rabbi Shmuley Boteach wrote a book basically promoting this view that Paul is, um, that Jesus was fine, you know, he's a good rabbi, you know, even kept the Torah, went to synagogue, went to the temple. But Paul was this this 
anti-Torah guy, anti-Jewish, anti-Semitic man. Um, so I, I find this, again, this, this falls into the same bucket as the last criticism of low views of the New Testament. Um, and this one particularly directed at Paul, I find it um, really painful to see because I don't think Paul himself was anti-Torah. Um, and I think some of some, and I know you've addressed this, John, but um, I think a lot of his statements have been misconstrued or taken out of context of what he was dealing with, uh, particularly with Galatians and and conversion to Judaism through circumcision. Um, yeah, so this is this is another one of one of Jonathan's issues that yeah, unfortunately, I have seen in Hebrew roots. Right, and I know that on more of the Hebrew root side, I think there's some people who who the Holy Spirit quickens them when people come against the letters of Paul or they come against Hebrews or the apostolic mm-hmm. scriptures in general. And they're like, if I do enough homework, if I do enough investigation, I can find some answers to this. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I definitely know that there are people on the Hebrew side. They know if, if I just have the get, get enough time and get enough you know, material together, I yeah. will have an answer uh, to this. And it's a good attitude. I think. And, and indeed, uh, that's one of the reasons why, you know, at least with our ministry, we produced all these publications to help yeah. people with a lot of these Pauline passages. Yeah. And, you know, hopefully by some means people can find out about us and they can get this information in, in their hands. Uh, on more of the Messianic Jewish side, mm-hmm. uh, Paul is, is, is perceived as being, yes, he's a true, genuine apostle. He did not certainly force non-Jews to, to do matters of Torah. It, it's either left purposefully vague, well, they could do it if they wanted to, or it's between them and the Holy Spirit in the, in mm-hmm. the sanctification process. Uh, but a lot of the, the Messianic Jewish handling of Paul is very, very limited. It only tends to be mm-hmm. Paul and how Paul's passages like uh, 1 Corinthians 7, for example, how they affect Jewish believers, because a common interpretation uh, throughout Christian history is that Paul thought that Jewishness was not important and that, you know, Saul the Jew became Paul the Christian. Um, right. And yeah. so a lot of Messianic Jewish handling of Paul tends to be, you know, focused on 1 Corinthians 7 and 1 Corinthians 9 uh, and, and, and just a, a small selection of things that just tend to affect Messianic Jewish self-identity. Uh, and so, you know, you're stuck between these two, like, well, is Paul even a genuine apostle or what does Paul communicate about Jewish believers, Jewishness? Uh, and it's, it's very difficult in order to, to, to function sometimes because mm. actually a lot of people in congregations are act, asking, you know, what does Paul say in, in, in Colossians 2? What was nailed to the cross? Does, you know, what does he say about let yeah. no one judge you and this or that? Uh, those that. are the kinds of things people want to see discussed and, uh, all I can say is you just got to go around some of these ent- entities and, 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 and speak out. Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, the, the desiring to find out more, to engage some resources, to study deeper on these questions, that's good. And I, I would encourage folks in the messianic movement, folks watching this, that, you know, if you do have questions about Paul, if you have concerns or you're uncertain about these things, by all means, dig in, uh, dig a little deeper than just, you know, reading the text and then uh, responding to a Christian objection to it. I think um, there's a great deal of scholarship today 
that upholds a positive view of Paul, one that shows him not to be an anti-Jew or an ex-Jew, you know, an ex-Jew who converted to a new religion and changed his name. Um, no, uh, as you point out in your book, John, on Romans, that uh, Paul and, and Saul or Shaul would have been uh, common to have, it would have been common for a, a, a Jew in the Roman world to have more than that one name. So there's a, a great deal of scholarship that shows Paul is not this um, anti-Jewish, anti-Torah guy. Um, I consider Paul, I think it's a good way of looking at it. I consider Paul to be like the greatest messianic Jewish apostle. You know, he brought uh, with throughout the ages because of what he did, he's, he's brought billions of non-Jews to follow the God of Israel. That's a, that's an awesome work the Lord's done through him. So uh, I think that's a better way of, of seeing Paul than, than this anti-Torah guy. I think we can wrestle with these passages. Uh, we can engage with scholarship on these pa- passages, understand the context of these difficult passages and come to an understanding that um, makes Paul out to be uh, still pro-Torah, still uh, favorable of, of the Torah. Okay, well, the next thing you've got on your list, the next mm-hmm. problem is low Christology. Now, some people don't yeah. even know what the word Christology is. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, it's one of those theological words that right. <laughs> doesn't really affect me. But yeah. a low Christ- the term Christology is the study of the nature of the Messiah. That's and right. those who hold to a low Christology either believe that Yeshua of Nazareth is a human man with a special relationship with God, uh, perhaps even empowered by God, but ultimately not God, or that Yeshua was a supernatural entity, i.e. like the figure of wisdom in Mm. Proverbs 8, uh, but created ultimately and not Mm -hmm. God. So Mm -hmm. low Christology is present in all different religious sectors. It's not limited to sectors of the Messianic movement, uh, which are trying to uh, hold to biblical monotheism, and they think, well, God is one, so that means an absolute one, uh, a monolithic one. It's it's present in various cults, uh, Jehovah's Witnesses. Uh, that That's one of the big big ones out there that doesn't believe Yeshua is God. Uh, the Unitarian and, movement doesn't believe Yeshua is God. And apparently two-thirds of evangelical, <laughs> sorry, uh, only one third, two, right? one third yeah. but only two thirds of evangelicalism believes he's got so one yeah. third uh, doesn't believe he's God. And yeah. certainly throughout history, there have been people who have claimed to believe in Yeshua, but well, he's just a good teacher. He's just a good philosopher. So this mm-hmm. is not something that is limited to the messianic world, but in the mm-hmm. messianic world, because of our small size, you are likely to encounter it much yeah. more quicker than you mm-hmm. would in some of these other sectors. That's right. That's right. Uh, I'm glad you raised that point too and mentioned it earlier about the evangelicals that a third of evangelicals polled didn't believe that Yeshua was God. Pretty remarkable. Um, and this has been, as you've mentioned, it's, it's spread out all over the, the believing world. Um, yeah, with this one, it's, it's certainly easier, I think, for Hebrew roots folks to believe this. Here's why. If we reject Yeshua as God. If we reject that and say Yeshua is just a man, or maybe he's a human Messiah, or he's he's an angelic being of some sort. If we if we go down that route, we certainly uh, can be accepted 
by Judaism. And for a lot of folks in Hebrew roots, they have so fallen in love with this, the idea of Jewishness and Judaism and the Jewish faith that, uh, this is an attractive proposition. So it's made a lot of people say, well, okay, can we make it so that, uh, you know, can we, can we read the New Testament and come out of that saying that Yeshua is, is just a human Messiah like Judaism is expecting today? So I think there's a real, um, temptation to do that in the messianic world. The problem is the New Testament doesn't support it at all. <laughs> I mean, it's, it seems to me that if we make Yeshua out to be something less than God, um, that the gospels, his work on the cross, uh, are, are rendered almost meaningless. Um, some of the things we read in Revelation become um, uh, uh, non sequiturs. They don't follow because if Yeshua is not God, why would this be happening in Revelation? We see in Revelation uh, the throne of God and the Lamb. Um, the throne of God and the Lamb. Well, why does the Lamb have the throne of God? If, if I mean, there's just one throne there, and yet it's talking about God and the Lamb, the Father and Messiah. Um, so this seems to be just counter to the New Testament. I, I don't have a better way to put that. It's It runs counter to the New Testament. So even though there's this idea that, hey, we could be accepted by Judaism if we reject the, the deity of Yeshua, um, I don't think it's compatible with the New Testament. And this also is an issue that I have witnessed in my years in the movement that if you end up rejecting the deity of Yeshua, a lot of such folks tend not to remain messianics for very long. My younger brother did this where he went down this road of rejecting the deity of Yeshua, undermining the credibility of the New Testament, but still calling himself a believer. He eventually rejected Yeshua, rejected the New Testament, became an Orthodox Jew. Um, and I think that's the path that it often leads down. Not every time, but it often leads down that path. Um, just to uh, give a little more context here with, with, with what Jonathan saw, he said, worse still are others who say that Jesus is not the Messiah. Uh, one person actually taught that Jesus is the Antichrist and that Yeshua would come to overthrow Jesus. <laughs> uh, I'm laughing because it's so ridiculous. Uh, he said, this teaching led directly to Messianic saying they weren't part of the church. They weren't, part, they weren't Christians themselves. It was the beginnings of an us versus them mentality. Uh, and taking it a step further, he saw that others state that while Jesus is the Messiah, that he is not God. So I have seen this. It's a problem in our movement. I saw it um, very close. I saw it with my own brother. This is a real problem. It leads you away from the Lord. Uh, it undermines your faith in Messiah and ultimately in God, in my view. Um, so this is a real problem in the Hebrew Roots movement. A few years ago, I uh, I conducted a, a really massive study defending yeah. the divinity of Yeshua, mm -hmm. and some of the research material that I accessed for that included books like uh, Lord Jesus Christ by uh, Larry Hurtado. Oh, yeah, yeah. That, that's a major book. Another yep. one is called Jesus and the God of Israel by Richard Baucom, mm. and both of those books because so many people have been subjected to dogma regarding is Yeshua God. Mm -hmm. you, know, you just have to believe this, otherwise you're going to be labeled heretic. 
Um, and so uh, they don't really have a, 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 a good formulation for understanding from the text of Scripture why uh, mm. he, he has to be God. He has to be Yotevave. Yes. Um, so those two books, Hurtado and Bauckham, really got me thinking about what Bauckham in particular labels as Yeshua's integration into the divine identity. And okay. mainly what you see is you see passages in the Tanakh or the Old Testament where Yudhe is the subject applied to Yeshua in the apostolic scriptures. Mm. Uh, and so Yeshua takes the identity of Yudhe Vafe. Yes. And, and it begs the question, well, could a supernatural yet ultimately created agent perform this? Mm. Uh, because you know, some people say, well, Yeshua is just the agent sent by God. Okay, mm. but he's forgiving sins. He's being worshipped. Yes. Yes. He is the guarantor that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob will have descendants. I mean, do mm. you, see, you see some angel doing things like this. Uh, yeah, so, so, so this integration into the divine identity. Do yes. you see created beings, you know, angels, entities, things like that perform the works of Yotevafe as Yotevafe receiving the same honor as is due Yotevafe. I mean, mm. those are some really big things. And, and yet, you know, a lot of people don't want to talk about that. They, they miss that. They want some, mm. you know, and I, 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 they want, you know, a book like Return of the Kosher Pig by Yitzhak Shapira, which sure. you know, takes a lot of ideas from medieval Kabbalism and anachronistically reads them into the, apostolic writings rather than mm. you know what do you do about yeshua calling himself the son of man do you not recognize that that comes from daniel chapter 7 and a, a figure brought before the ancient of days who's given the ultimate uh worship everyone has to recognize right. as him as supreme over the cosmos mm -hmm. so when yeshua calls himself the son of man who came to serve and not be served what does that do about how Yeshua emptied himself of his exalted glory and took on humanity uh, in order to be sacrificed for sins. I mean, these are some of the things that I don't think the Messianic community is probing significantly enough. Agreed. And I know that I know that a lot of people uh, they think about well, Judaism this and Judaism that. Well, what was Judaism saying in the Second Temple period? And some mm. of the things that they were saying mm. in the Second Temple period were a little different than what they were saying in the Middle Ages about God. And yeah. a little different than what they're certainly saying today about about God, uh, and so those are those are the kinds of conversations we have to enter into. Uh, not to you know because we've got to move on, but uh, Daniel <laughs> sure. Boryarin's uh, I've got the title right here. Ah, uh, yes, Jewish Gospels is 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 one of these kinds of resources that raises the question of what were some of the expectations in the broad first century period. Uh, That's right, but, and he argues, if I recall, that the divine Messiah perspective was present in the first century. There are certainly a lot of hints about it. And, mm -hmm. and I mean, this is, you know, every one of your points, you know, we could talk hours and hours. And <laughs> I know, hours I know, I know. Uh, but, but I know that in the messianic world, uh, this isn't just on the Hebrew roots, we want a quick fix to some of these problems. And then we mm -hmm. want to go on to what really matters to us. Mm -hmm. And, I'm sorry to have to say this, but a lot of ministry, if you're called into ministry, is doing things that you really, that you may not personally have any interest in. Uh, but there's a mm -hmm. need for it out there in the, in the, in the, in the, in the 
body at large. Most of the things that I have written, I have not had a personal desire to want to write. It's just <laughs> yeah, like, you're doing it for the community. Like we have a problem out there. Yep. We have to try to provide some solution to this. And then we have yes. to move on to the next problem. Yes. Uh, because actually some of the things I'd really like to talk about, uh, I think the window's closed for talking about them. Other people have, have addressed them and probably mm. done a much better job than I would have. Uh, mm. But yeah, this the, the issue of the nature of Yeshua, very, very big. Everybody needs to know about it. And we'll definitely have a, a future episode when we go into detail and we hash out some of these things. That sounds good. So your next point, uh, th- problems with the Hebrew Roots Movement, promotion of salvation by works. Yeah, Jonathan says that uh, this one isn't explicitly said in the Hebrew Roots Movement, but rather is kind of by implication. He says, I never heard anyone say explicitly that salvation was through works. Okay, great. However, this is what was in reality taught by many. I heard messages stating that because Christians don't follow the Torah, they aren't saved. This effectively puts Torah as a requirement for salvation. I too have never heard people come out outright in the Hebrew roots world say that, uh, that Torah is required for salvation. I have heard, sadly, people say, well, oh, you're a Christian. You don't follow the Torah. Well, you're not saved then. And that, that effectively does what Jonathan is saying here. Um, my response to Jonathan in this is, and this is my, my encouragement to Messianic folks watching this, Christians do keep the Torah. Christians do keep the Torah. How is that possible? Yes, it's true that Christians reject uh, kosher and the Sabbath or think the Sabbath's changed. Uh, the feasts generally don't celebrate. They've replaced it with Christian feasts. All that's true. However, Christians are often doing the weighty matters of the Torah, the things that the Torah Torah commands us. uh, One example would be the commandment to leave the edges of the corners of your field for the poor. Yeshua reiterates this in the Gospels when he says that um, if if you care for those in need, if you care for the poor, if you give food to the hungry, then you're it's as if you're giving food to me. These are part of the weightier matters of the Torah that Yeshua talks about. Uh, I would I would put this into the justice bucket of categorization here that that uh, helps rectify an injustice that you're caring for the poor. Christians are the ones doing that. I rarely see Hebrew roots folks doing this. In fact, it was on my heart a few years ago. I really felt the Lord pressing on me like, um, why aren't we doing these things? Why aren't we doing these good works that the Torah tell us to do and the Gospels reiterate for us to do? Why aren't we doing them? And um, out of that, uh, we ended up doing a great deal of, um, of good works. You might call it Torah, you might call it Gospel, you might call it outreach, whatever you want to say, but we would feed people in need. We'd uh, go to feed my starving children. We would we volunteered at Loaves and Fishes. We provided for hundreds of people um, in the last few years that I was at my congregation. And we did that in the name of Jesus. We told those folks that, hey, we're doing this um, because of Jesus. It's, it's what Jesus told us to do. That's Torah. You know, I, I think we often forget yes, that. Is. You know, we think like, oh, Torah is just the feast or the just kosher. No, <laughs> it's it's much bigger than that. And uh, And that gets into one of Jonathan's later points about, um, a kingdom of eating and drinking, but 
Um, so I, I just wanted to say that that's my response to Jonathan here uh, and also uh, to the Messianic folks um, who are watching this. Uh, Christians are Torah observant in some very important ways, oftentimes in ways that the Messianic world is currently lacking. Uh, so I reject this notion that they're not Torah observant. I reject the notion that they're not saved because they're not Torah observant. Uh, all of that um, just isn't the reality on the ground. Well, what I don't understand is why people in certainly, you know, this Torah observant sector, why some people mm-hmm. think that they can act as though they are God I and know. declare that certain people are unsaved. Um, because, yep. because I certainly am not God. I'm not omnipotent. I don't know what's in someone's heart. Now, if someone says, I'm not born again, and I actually have encountered people in the Messianic world from time to time who say, I'm not born again, because they think it happens at the resurrection, well, they probably aren't born again. <laughs> hmm. Hmm. Uh, but, yeah. but, you know, I'm not God. I don't ultimately know what is in anyone's heart or mind. And, yeah. okay, there are people today, particularly millennials and younger, who they're not really making any effort to keep God's commandments in the Torah and they believe in gay marriage and they believe in all this other crazy stuff, but are they really, you know, believers in the God of Israel or a God that they've fashioned in their own mind? Indeed. But but I think that's a, I think that's another issue. People who identify as conservative evangelicals, they are doing the weightier matters spoken of in Matthew 23. And over the years, I have grown very tired of seeing people particularly quoting from James, you know, faith without works is dead. And they'll say, yeah, because they're not doing Shabbat or the festivals or kosher. And it's like, well, mm-hmm. you know, I believe those things are important. You know, I, I do those things myself. But James's actions, James's works involve some of those very weightier matters. You know, looking out for the poor, you know, feeding right. the homeless, all these kinds of things. And that's not specified enough. And it, it, it's just very, very, very sad to, to see people, you know, promoting some form of salvation by works or uh, because you're not doing what yeah. I'm doing, you're not saved, uh, to which I would say, well, when you weren't doing those things yourself and you were claiming to believe, I guess you yeah. weren't saved either. Well, no, that doesn't apply to me. I mean, I was still saved. But, you know, I mean, I mean these are the kinds of things that, 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 you, that you will encounter. Uh, and it's, it, it, it will not go away until the Lord returns, I'm afraid. And, and even among people who don't, you know, promote a, a, or, or imply a salvation by works, if you're not doing these things, you're probably not saved. People who say, well, you are saved, uh, there, there can still be this rigidity or this legalism that, that, that we see manifest. So, you know, so many of the problems I've had have never been over, say, the validity of the Sabbath or kosher. But you know, well, what do you do if there is an emergency at, at, at the office or at work and I've got mm-hmm. to go in and uh, I've got to help out, you know, because if not, the company's going to go under. Or what if I'm at a friend's house and they serve me something unclean? What am I supposed to do? And I don't see enough flexibility on the Hebrew root side as, as as should be present among people who believe in Yeshua and recognize that there are weightier matters. Yes. Uh, I actually do see more, actually see more flexibility on the Messianic Jewish side. Um, Interesting. Wow. Yeah. Uh, like on different kosher issues. It's like, well, you know, I, I keep kosher, but 
you know, if I go to somebody's home and they serve something to me, what am I supposed to do? Make a scene? Mm-hmm. Mm. You know, I mean, th- these are the kinds of things that I know I've gotten in a lot of conflict with people on the Hebrew root side over the years. And, th- and they think I'm coming against these commandments. Like, we're not coming against these things. No, of course but there, not. Of but there are not. weightier matters. That's and, right. And uh, it's unfortunate that, you know, your spirituality rises or falls on on some of these things. Yeah, yeah, absolutely agreed. And my final comment there too, John, is I recognize that that same thing that you do when people say that you're not saved, you're you're putting yourself in in God's shoes uh, to say who is who is going to be resurrected and with the Lord in the end. I really I'm I'm grossed out by that stuff in the Christian world when I see that. Um, I'm I'm all the more really disgusted by it in our own movement when we see people saying, oh, you're not keeping Shabbat, therefore you're not going to be with the Lord, or your heart's not a fertile ground for the Bible. It's not right. It's not right for us to say that. It's not right theologically. And it actually just it divides the body. You know, these these folks in the church who are sincere Bible-believing Christians um, doing doing the works of the gospel, those people are our brothers and sisters. And I, I think a lot of Hebrew roots folks have lost sight of that. Okay. Well, we've got through five of your 10 points. <laughs> oh man. Wow. Right. But no, this is, these are, these are, these are very important things that, that need to be discussed. So mm-hmm. uh, number six on this is conspiracy theories. Now I remember just to tee you up on this. I remember, uh, and I, and, I've, I've talked with Joel Lieberman about this before, but I, I remember at the 2014 uh, MJA regional out in uh, north of Dallas-Fort Worth Airport, uh, and our ministry had an exhibition table, and the lady who was in charge of the children came yes. up and said, don't you know that the earth is flat? And no. I, and I, out of my mouth, I really had to cry. I said, that's bullshit. You know, <laughs> Did you actually say it? I said that in front of her, and uh, <laughs> oh, and, and every one of the leadership was like, "Yeah, you know, that's true." He said, "You know, that was a proper response." Yeah, um, but uh, but that was my response to hearing that the Earth was flat, and I think that that mm-hmm. has become. I mean, that that was something that in the mid two thousand tens was promoted, you know, at the, on the fringe of Hebrew roots. Now it's it's all over the place, and you've got people Seems. who uh, who are you know, part of the flat earth movement. Netflix has got the, the movie, uh, be, is it called beyond the curve or behind the curve? It's been a while something since like I've seen that. It. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. that's something that, that has, that, that has grown. And all of us at this point, you know, we have encountered people who believed that the earth is flat. We know somebody who believes that, uh, no right. congregation or group is immune from encountering flat earthers. So that, that's like, I think the, the, the juiciest conspiracy that's out there. But again, oh, your, fr- so many more. Yeah. your friend and, you know, we could go on and on and on, but, but this is, this is a problem because it takes people away from why we are legitimately here as, as God's people. Yeah. It's a huge distraction and it's a divisive one at that. Um, flat earth, as you said, is, is kind of the juiciest one going around. It bothers me too. Jonathan said uh, there are groups, the, the groups, he's speaking of Hebrew roots groups, are overrun by conspiracy theorists and false prophets. There are mainstream messianic teachers who support flat earth, 
who say that gravity is fiction, uh, say that the moon landing didn't really happen, uh, as well as the electromagnetic healing properties of linen. I haven't actually heard yeah, that last Yeah, I mean, one. we're, we are way beyond Hitler oh. escaping to Argentina here. <laughs> I know. This way is, beyond this is that. Wild. Yeah. It's really sad. Um, it, it, it's a distraction. It turns people off. Uh, it certainly caused Jonathan to question, um, his theology of the Torah because of some of the silliness going around. Um, it goes far beyond that too. Um, numerology producing prophetic events, um, just lots of wild, crazy things, uh, out there. Even today, in fact, I just got tagged in a Facebook post by a gentleman who said, um, oh, he was saying, oh yeah, I just routinely, uh, see the numerology and it's a real outreach tool to help all the blind sheeple. And I'm thinking, no, it's not. This nonsense uh, of, of, of these conspiracies that supposedly brings people in. No, I've never seen that. I've never seen it. It turns people off. Um, and in this post actually, um, that we're, we're discussing now, um, I had a woman, uh, who ended up leaving her husband because her husband was absolute in, in this was one of the reasons her husband was um oh so focused on conspiracy theories he would turn every conversation you had with him into a conspiracy theory and then his daughter this man's daughter ended up commenting also on my post on facebook to say look she and the, the daughter says look i'm an agnostic because i saw all of this crazy conspiracy stuff and surely god is not in that and um, I talked with her. I had a nice conversation with her. But um, it shows that people, it destroys families because people can get so hyper-focused um, on these conspiracy theories. It it turns young people and reasonable people off, thinkers. It turns thinkers off. So this uh, this idea that, oh, you know, it's just some 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 bad fruit here. No, no, it's, it's actually a life and death thing for Hebrew Roots, uh, the Hebrew Roots movement. Um, if, if, Conspiracy theories are not curtailed. It will destroy the movement from within because it will continue to shed uh, reasonable people, shed youth, uh, shed thinkers. Um, and frankly, just speaking for my own family, I have three kids. The youngest is three years old. I don't want my kids to be in a place where conspiracy theories are pushed, even if it's just at the Oneg table. It's not a safe place for my family. So this is a real, real problem that Jonathan raises. I think, in my view, it's the biggest problem in, in Hebrew roots. And he's absolutely right. Um, it's it's killing our movement. I'm grieved by the stuff. I, I'll go to Facebook and see all my Hebrew roots friends posting nonsense about Bill Gates, about um, medical conspiracies, about COVID, saying that COVID's a planned-demic, that it's not real or it was planned by... So I'm like, I've lost people to COVID. I, I have a friend who died from COVID. So it just, it's so, it's, it's so grievous to me. Um, and it's a real problem in Hebrew. It's, it's prevalent. It's, I would say in every congregation that I've visited, that I've attended has conspiracy theorists and all they can talk about are their conspiracy theories. It's a real problem. Well, I know that because I've encountered a lot of these things before and they, they, they tend to always be associated with different end time predictions that prove mm. false. Yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah. there are, there are legitimate things that people need to talk about uh, regarding, okay, this whole COVID thing and how many people yeah. really did 
die from COVID or COVID plus other ailments that they had. Yeah. But, yeah. but then at the same time, it's like, okay, uh, you know, let's step back a few paces and, you know, remember if there is some kind of, you know, grand new world order plan that's to bring about world government as yeah. a lot of people think revelation predicts. Yeah. Uh, they're going to be things that you can't know about. It's going to be that well planned. Mm. Uh, and ultimately, is it the job of God's people to be so focused on what the forces of darkness are doing that we forget what our purpose is in terms of making it seeing people brought to faith? Look, yes. all of us are going to have questions. All of us are going to talk about these things, whether it's, yes. you know, did Hitler really kill himself in the bunker? And that's, <laughs> sure, a, that's, a, that's sure. an old one. Uh, <laughs> sure, you know, sure. How did the Twin Towers come down? Yeah, who, I don't know how, they, yeah, don't know how they came down. But I do know this. Most people, when they saw them come down, were afraid. Mm. And, and in that kind of a situation, the government and different agencies could do really whatever they wanted via the guise of security. Yeah. Uh, you know, that's what happened when the Reichstag caught on fire. Uh, that's mm. what Hitler was able to, you know, Hitler was able to. So, so we need to learn from some of these, you know, moments in history. But, but right now with the lockdowns and everything and with the quarantine, with the mask, I think it's a, an excellent time for us to consider what unfinished business do we have with God and with one yes. another? Because yes. again, you know, there are people who they spend far too much time on these things that ultimately they can't prove. We have a huge treasure trove of things to talk about in Holy Scripture that, oh, that's too boring. I mean, that's ultimately what it comes down to. I know. It's that's like too, these things are boring. exciting. Yeah, yeah. It's These conspiracies you know, are that's, exciting that's and ear-tingling. You know, that's too boring. And, you know, you've mentioned, you know, the, this this blog mentioned some names in the Hebrew Roots Movement. And, you know, the Hebrew Roots Movement has grown from a great deal of sensationalism over the years, yeah. uh, not just limited to things like, like I remember uh, a while back hearing something, uh, the CERN test uh, right. yeah, research in Switzerland. It's going to open a portal yeah. to all these demons. <laughs> it's like, give me a break. All you I know. Look, look, if you want demons to come into, into your life or your sphere of influence, I bet all you have to do is ask for them. You don't, you need, don't need, yeah, you don't need a scientific discovery like the CERN. Yeah, uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> you don't yeah. need, you don't need that if you want, but if, but the, the opposite is also true. If you want the Lord to show up in your life, you press yeah. in, the Lord mm -hmm. will show up in, yes. in your life. And yeah, you know, things yes. like that, they just, they, they have no ultimate, they, they have limited sensational value. Uh, but it, it's not limited to just Hebrew roots either. You know, I, mm -hmm. I don't want to get in trouble too much, but you know, uh, this past January, when I was at the IMCS Rabbis Conference, yeah, you know their main speaker, uh, and he gave some really compelling messages. But the main speaker was Jonathan Kahn, okay. Sure. Mm -hmm. And you know, Jonathan Kahn is a Jewish believer. I, I think everyone agrees with Jonathan Kahn's message of, of declaring a return of America to biblical morality, and yes. things like abortion and the LGBTQ thing are going to get. America judged by God. Okay, I agree with that. And I and I and on a personal level, I like Jonathan Kahn. Yeah. But you know, at this event, uh they had the round tables and you know with like ten and twelve people sitting, you know, everybody got a free copy of the Oracle 
Uh, fortunately, I already had my copy, so I gave it to somebody else. I didn't need one. Uh, and people are like, oh, this is so good. This is so anointed. Oh, da, 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 da. These are you know, some major leaders in Messianic Judaism saying this. And, I, and they asked me what I thought. And I said, it's not theology. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Not theology. If, if someone comes to you and you have got your congregation all into Jonathan Kahn and somebody comes to you and, and wants to know, is Yeshua God or, you know, what happens after I die or some of these really big theological questions, Jonathan yes. Kahn is not going to be able to help you. It's not yeah. theology. So, mm-hmm. you know, we can go after Hebrew roots for, oh, you know, they're into, you know, the Nephilim and, or they're mm-hmm. into, you know, this, this, I can't tell you how many different Mark of the Beasts I've seen. Oh from my those. gosh. I know. I know. Uh, yeah. And it's, and it's all dependent on what the latest technology is like. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. It, 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 it keeps changing. And, and. It uh, used to be Visa cards, man. I, I, right. People don't remember. It used to be Visa cards. <laughs> right. And so. <laughs> that should signal to us like all these people who cry wolf. It, it makes people just tired of it to say, no, I don't want anything to do with this. You've, it's failed prediction after failed prediction. Uh, it just turns people off. But but even the Messianic Jewish world, you know, it's affected by its own form of sensationalism. And mm. and and they of course they all say, well, it gets people to think, and it got people to come to my congregation. Okay, but what does that tell you about you know the character of people? I don't think people came um, to Yeshua because of the disciples declaring a well, you know, he's got the inside information of what's going on in Caesar's palace. Right, no, they right, didn't. They right. didn't do, or 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 Herod's palace, or or whomever it was. Mm-hmm. No, they they came to Yeshua because he declared a message that they needed to hear because of the questions of their humanity: who I am, who am I in relation to God, what am I doing with myself, and sure. how can I better? How can I be bettered as as a person? Uh, yeah. And, and that, those are the things that oh, it's too boring. I don't want to hear about that. Uh, Hebrew Roots has, has done a, a, a rather poor job at addressing some of those matters. Mm-hmm. And, and, if, and, if, and, if, and I can understand your friend wanting to say, hey, I'm going to go to a place where, where those matters are going to be addressed. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's unfortunate. I just feel it's, it's a huge distraction from what we're called to. Look, uh, we can do the good works of Torah and the Gospels that Messiah uh, commanded us to do without uh, getting – all of our time sucked into conspiracy theories. Look, and I tell people too, if you want to believe certain strange things, okay, it's no skin off my back, but when you make it part of the congregation, you tie it to our faith, you spread your conspiracy theories uh, at the Oneg table, then it starts to divide communities. And I mean that literally. I had uh, two different people leave my community over some guy who came in, some visitor, and started preaching flat earth. Uh, unbeknownst to us at the time. So this really does divide communities and it distracts us from the calling that Yeshua has on our lives. All right. Well, your, your, the seventh point on your list is scholarship is derided. I'd like to hear what Jonathan's experience was on this one. Ah, uh, yeah. Okay. So scholarship is derided. Uh, he says, there is very little scholarship in my congregation. Education was downplayed. People who had earned PhDs were referred to as post-hole diggers, and seminary was called cemetery. It's no wonder that uh, the previous points are indeed issues, he says. 
The number of messianic scholars that I trust to accurately handle the word of truth, Jonathan says, I can count on one hand. Four is the exact number. <laughs> While I now disagree with their conclusions, I at least respect their work and the wrestling that they have had with scripture. The majority of teachers I encountered in the messianic movement were self-taught or YouTube-taught. And the number of messages I heard promoting false history, bad Hebrew, worse Greek, or wrong scriptural conclusions is staggering, Jonathan says, unquote. Um, I've seen this too, and I've, I, I said in the post, I've been guilty of this. I've referred to seminary as cemetery and things like that, joked about it. Um, I realize now that it's, it's, um, it does a great disservice to our movement when we downplay education, uh, formal education, because it means that we're cutting ties with our history of our, our rich, vast uh, inheritance of Christian and Jewish scholarship that we can learn from. I gave the analogy in my post that um, someone who is going to perform surgery on you, he has to learn from what his predecessors had learned. That's his time in in medical school. Uh, if we, in Hebrew roots, just say, oh, uh, education doesn't matter. In fact, it's worse. It, it's actually harmful. Education is indoctrination, as I've heard some people say. Um, we end up with the Wild West of theology that we often see in Hebrew roots where no one, you know, everyone's an expert, right? Oh, I'm, I'm a teacher. Well, I'm a teacher too. And I, I know as much as you, so I can just, you know, someone who's new to the movement as of last Monday has as much authority as someone who's been in the movement for 20 years because education doesn't matter apparently. Um, so this he saw as a problem and I agree. It is indeed a problem in Hebrew roots where we actually make fun of, formal education, people who have devoted their lives to studying the Bible, to wrestling with the issues, uh, wrestling how to apply the Bible to today, um, engaging with the scholars of the past and presenting um, new understandings based on how can we apply it today from what they learned and, and what we're, what our society is like today. We discard all of that. It's just, an, it's a horrible waste. It's a real shame. And it's led to the Wild West that we are now experiencing in Hebrew roots. Well, I can personally attest as someone who did receive a theological education that mm -hmm. there are people who will not listen to me when they hear that, oh, McKee's got a seminary degree. You know, he went to cemetery and, and all of this. And then there are others who, when they encounter our ministry, they encounter our publications, they're like, I'm glad somebody did the work. I'm glad somebody mm. took the time and made the personal sacrifice because I can perhaps take some of these materials back to my former pastor or Sunday school teacher or relative, and I can show them a well-thought, well-researched case. Uh, mm -hmm. So I, yes. I, I encounter both positions uh, but, okay. I, but in your blog, I do want to address this uh, point. Uh, here's why Hebrew Roots folks think this way. Modern scholarship has resulted in the church and modern Christianity. Modern Christianity is terribly deluded about the Torah and possibly unsaved. Now, here's the real point. Scholarship has led to all kinds of foolishness and immorality, with liberal scholars finding loopholes in scriptures for virtually any sin. Okay, 
I want to address that because, yes. you know, I mean, James says in his epistle, let not many of you become teachers, brethren. Mm-hmm. Because one of the things that is so important about, you know, getting a good, well-rounded theological education where you see what the major issues are, you see, you know, this is how, you know, historical grammatical exegesis works. And this, these are the issues of the day, particularly with modernism and postmodernism. You know, hopefully if you are conservative enough, you'll have a good, well-rounded point of view when you leave mm-hmm. and you'll be able to serve in ministry and be relevant to the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there are people who, you know, when they encounter both sides of the equation, are they born again or do they have a proclivity to the left? I don't know. They can go the other way. And, mm-hmm. or, or when they encounter criticisms against the Bible and the responses to them, rather than, okay, good, my questions have been answered, do they end up going the other way? Uh, yeah. one, of the, one of the famed examples that, that actually happened uh, when Bart Ehrman went to get his theological education was that he ended up denying God and becoming an atheist. Or, right. Uh, he couldn't, he, his questions weren't answered properly. And there are people who, who have that. Uh, but, you know, one of the dangers that, and this is why you need people who are teachers who are born again, who know the Lord, uh, who have, you mm-hmm. know, the Holy yeah. Spirit inside of them. You know, you learn some of these skills. You know, I could argue, you know, both sides of uh, an issue, you know, mm. and you can, you know, you can at times, you know, make the Bible communicate whatever you want it to communicate. I think sure. that's, mm. I think that's what a lot of people on the Hebrew root side are, are worried about because they see yeah. people with, you know, PhDs, uh, like, like down in, uh, in Dallas, we've got, you know, Perkins School of Theology, uh, among others, uh, and it's very left-wing, and it's very mm. well-known for promoting, you know, from the Bible, it's a Christ-like thing to support homosexual marriage. Mm. You know, if you believe in Christ, you know, you believe that, you know, and, and this whole, you know, liberal social, social justice agenda. Yes, so yeah. I've encountered that, mm-hmm. um, and I've had to, you know, engage with, okay, what are some of their arguments for you know, homosexuality, do, are we yeah. reading a different Bible? You know, mm-hmm. do they not understand Leviticus 18? I mean, what are some of these things? Yes. And yes, I, I have, I have heard the arguments. I'm not convinced by them, yeah. but I know what they are. Yeah. Um, you've actually engaged with them. Yeah. Because if we don't in, understand what some of these arguments are in our ministry praxis, are we going to be able to understand where people are coming from and be able to minister to them better? Or are we going to come across as, you know, flaming fundamentalists who don't really don't care about the people. We just care about our own positions, you know, because there are people who, you know, they enter into, into a deviant lifestyle, whatever that is because of, they were not loved or they were not given attention or their questions weren't answered or they felt rejected. And, and that's, you know, a huge part of getting a theological education is trying to understand where other people are coming from. And in the messianic movement, uh, a huge reason why, you know, the messianic community is even here is to understand the Jewish experience and some of the things mm. that the Jewish people have gone through with anti-Semitism, mm. social yes. discrimination, the Holocaust, all of, you know, the, the yes. Arab-Israeli conflict. How do we communicate properly yes. to Jewish people? Why do we not say things like, 
Jesus was crucified? Why do we say he was sacrificed on the tree? I mean, mm-hmm. these are the kinds of things that, that are, that, that are important. And look, there are things you can only learn about in a religious studies environment. I'm, I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I, believe you, it. I mean, you can, I mean, there are things that, okay. One's education never ends. I mean, you're always going to be reading books. You're always going to be encountering that other subject that you've got to be investigated. But there are things that you can only learn in a religious studies environment. At the very least, why are other people on the same quest to leadership or teaching the way I am? And maybe, and, and, and I brought this up other times before, some of these matters of, you know, Torah validity, other people have have detected them as well. We're not isolated as much as you might think. You do enough homework, you, you look into enough technical commentaries and resources, you know, you find out, am I the only person who thinks that Romans 14 isn't about Sabbath and kosher? You're not the only mm. person who thinks oh, Romans course. 14 is not about yeah. Sabbath and kosher. Uh, in all likelihood, some issue arose when different groups of Roman believers came together for a common fellowship meal. And then, you know, other things. Uh, you're not the only person who has seen hints of these matters. Uh, I'm glad and- you raised that, too. I, I, I often find uh, lay people, when they encounter these issues, they respond as though no one's considered it before, even though, again, we have a vast history of scholarship, both Jewish and Christian, that have addressed some of the issues uh, that are being raised. Yeah, so that's a, that's a great point. I mean, the whole issue about the, about the Sabbath, I mean, that has mm-hmm. been something that's been raging for three to four decades now in theology. Uh, when uh, – the Seventh-day Adventist uh, Samuel uh, Bakiochi, I believe that's how you pronounce his name, released uh, from Sabbath to Sunday. And then this compilation book was released in response to it called From Sabbath to Lord's Day. And now there's another volume that just released in 2011 called Four Views on the Sabbath. Uh, so mm. you can definitely, you need to definitely recognize these are topics which are being debated. And, you know, a big part about a theological education is, don't find yourself speaking into a vacuum. Other people have talked about this before. Go in yes. with a little more information. And unfortunately, a lot of the Messianic community, you know, it wasn't influenced by some of the denominational traditions of Protestantism that valued biblical scholarship. It wasn't as much influenced by at least conservative Judaism to the extent that it should have. It was mm. more influenced by the Jesus movement, the charismatic movement, and the independent church movement. And I'm not here to say that those movements didn't have good things, but the Messianic community would be a little further down the road if some of the good things from some of the more established you know, Protestant traditions had been integrated into its praxis of ministry. We'd, we'd be able to mm. address more of the issues of modernity and post-modernity much better. Interesting. So with that, I do want to add. Okay. Yes. I'd like to add to, um, with regards to scholarship, I don't think it means that every teacher needs to be a scholar. I think there still is a place for people who are called by the Lord to, to be a lay preacher. There's value in that too. I, what I want the Hebrew roots world to mature in is with regards to how it treats scholarship 
Because right now, in many places, scholarship is mocked and derided. That's the thing that needs to change. That's where we need to mature. Right. No, I, I agree. There are plenty of people who do not need to go get a theological education. Some people mm-hmm. will go get a theological education, and then they will start doubting God or doubting the mm-hmm. veracity of Scripture because they'll be yeah. presented with some liberal ideas, and, and the responses may not be sufficient for them. Yeah. Uh, in the case of our ministry, uh, you know, my parents, Mark and Margaret Huey, myself, they weren't going to go to seminary. Um, you know, I was I was the young person. I was the one who was going to get the theological education. It made a lot more yeah. sense. Yeah. Uh, uh, but uh, there needs to there needs to be a change in our spiritual culture where religious education and more specifically people who receive a religious education and can address issues of modernity and and post-modernity much better uh, in a, in a much less reactionary way, we need to be respected and we need to be able to have our say as well. And I think that that's something, you know, because I graduated seminary 11 years ago and there are still things that I learned, you know, back in 2006, 2007 that I have not been able to discuss publicly with that many people uh, mm. because, mm. and I'm not, and I'm not just talking about Hebrew roots people. I'm talking about people on the Messianic Jewish side as well. Interesting. Um, yeah. And they're, and they're very uncomfortable about some of these matters. We're not prepared. And, yeah. And, and, and I'm like, oh my God, oh my goodness. I mean, this is really, this is really quite uh, disturbing to me. Uh, but that's just, that's just going to be a matter of our maturing as a movement, our, our maturing as, uh, as, as we get closer to the Lord's return, how yes. how are we going to be able to handle everything that society throws at us? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so your next point is, and, and I'm and I'm very interested in this because I find it to be something that is a little subjective. It it, it varies on the basis of one's experience. Sure. Uh, the point idolizing Judaism. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, this is interesting. So I'll, I'll first quote Jonathan because my critique it agrees reads with Jonathan, but broadens it a bit. So I'm going to first quote just Jonathan. He says, many have turned to Jewish scholarship, away from Christian scholarship to Jewish scholarship. And he says, there is value here. And he says, personally, I love reading Abraham Heschel and Rabbi Sachs. However, these men deny the Messiah. They should not be our sole access to good biblical scholarship. As a result, so many within the movement have ended up in the synagogue or even converted to Judaism, denying Jesus completely, unquote. So Jonathan sees that uh, some folks, uh, because they've rejected all things Christian, they've been taught or they've heard or they believe that everything church, everything Christian, everything from that side of, of the religious world is trash or is pagan, um, or the lie. Yeah, yeah, I've been taught lies, right? Oh, my pastor just told me all lies. They come from that side, and so they instead say, oh, but everything from Judaism is good, and it's it's like it's as if it's from heaven itself. You know, it's it's a divine word. I personally have seen more than, mm, I would say, more than three people who have done this um, in my time, so it's not a lot, but I have seen it. And the idea here is um, they'll just say, well, everything that comes from Judaism is good. 
accept it wholeheartedly. They study, they quote from, they talk about uh, Jewish extra-biblical texts, whether it's the Talmud or more fringe works like the Zohar. To the extent that they're talking about those things, studying those things, spending their time in those things, more than they do even the Torah itself, and certainly more than the New Testament. That is an imbalance, um, and it creates people who idolize Judaism to an unhealthy extent. Uh, and in, as Jonathan mentioned, it actually has produced um, some apostasy from the faith away from Yeshua and to uh, mainstream Judaism. So now, that's his... That's his now when you talk about mainstream Judaism, I assume you're talking about people who become converts to Orthodox Judaism. Orthodox Judaism, I okay. should say, yeah. Because yeah. I think we really need to be very careful with that. <laughs> right. um, and that's something that I, you know, like... like you know, when I encountered very early on a lot of Hebrew roots people yes, and having gotten into this movement through the Messianic Jewish door, in fact, it was a, the 1995 UMJC door. So, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and, and, mm-hmm. you know, when I was in high school, that's when I was introduced to names like Dan Juster and David yes. Stern and some of the yes. old uh, names and then and then later I say I, I got enlightened and I was introduced to the MJAA and people like uh, <laughs> you know uh, Marty and Johanna Chernoff and Paul Lieberman and some of these other names that people who are just a little bit more spirit filled. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, yes. But but even but between those groups of people, uh, you have a respect for the Jewish theological tradition. You've got a respect for works like the the Mishnah and the Talmud as history and philosophy and commentary, mm-hmm. but nobody treats it as holy scripture. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you've got a respect for mainline tradition. So, uh, yes, you're going to see, if you go to a congregation, you see men wear the kippah or the yarmulke, and you're going to see those kinds of things. And then when I got into Hebrew roots, I saw things just get way out of hand and way out of control. Mm-hmm. And, like, the two biggest areas that are completely different tend to be with the avid usage of the the, the name Yudhevave okay. and using a completely different calendar than everyone else. Mm-hmm. I mean, those are those are like the two big dividing points between the Messianic Jewish world and the Hebrew roots world. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it, yeah, understood. And so, and I was never into you know like hyper tradition. And in fact, most sure. Messianic Jews I interacted with in the early days weren't into hyper tradition either. Uh, you know, they certainly would, uh, you know, observe, you know, certain traditions around the high holidays and around Passover with various recipes. And you know, the congregational service would be a form of a conservative or reform Jewish service with mm-hmm. the Messianic music. Uh, that sure. is unique. That, but uh, you didn't have a lot of this, well, we're going to go have our study on the Zohar. I mean, I, mm-hmm. I never encountered that. It was much more, oh, we're going to study the Gospel of John from a, you know, Messianic Jewish perspective, or it was yeah. much more Bible study focused. It wasn't into all this other stuff. I... Ladies and gentlemen, we are having a few technical difficulties because here in North Texas, uh, we're having a major thunderstorm. So we briefly just got cut off. Uh, so we are going to have to accelerate the, this just a little bit. Uh, but the issue in terms of, as Judah has described, idolizing uh, Judaism, uh, there are Definitely people out there who they uh, consider uh, Judaism 
uh, particularly a lot of the extra-biblical writings to be more important than Scripture itself, and they consider Judaism to be a little more important than the Jewish Messiah. And that's something that's been going right, on. Yeah. Uh, it, 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 it's, it's present in sectors of the Messianic Jewish movement. It's sectors in, uh, present in Hebrew Roots movement. Uh, it's just something that we have to contend with uh, and not uh, promote extremes about where we disregard yes. a lot of legitimate extra-biblical materials that scholars employ for their interpretation of holy scripture uh and there there's a there's a there's a fair equilibrium when you consider that tradition has a place in one's torah obedience or or torah practice but it should not have the place that's right uh and so i said i i can understand how with jonathan uh, there would be people who would be so enamored with these new bodies of literature and these new things that they got their eyes off of the lord himself mm-hmm. okay so your final point uh and then we're gonna have to close up uh, yes. a kingdom of eating and drinking Mm-hmm. Yeah, so this is Jonathan's final point that made him question his theology about Torah, which led to him leaving the movement. And he said, uh, these issues that I've raised so far, all the ones that we've just discussed uh, in, the, in the podcast here, he says these aren't the only issues, and nor are these fully explained and fleshed out. But I hope that I've shown why I began to question if this, meaning the movement, was of God. In short, Paul said to the church in Rome, the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit, quoting Romans 14, 17. Yet, Jonathan says, this is exactly what the kingdom has been made in many messianic congregations. They teach in word or practice that the important things of the kingdom are what you eat, kosher, what holidays you celebrate, the feast. They forgot the warning of Jesus was, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tied the mint and the dill and the cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice, mercy, faithfulness. These things you should have done without neglecting the others. So Jonathan just says, look, in the Messianic movement, we've prioritized kosher and feast celebration and Shabbat over the weighty matters of the Torah, uh, thus making a kingdom of eating and drinking when the kingdom of heaven is is bigger and beyond that. And um, I concur with him on this. I think we've prioritized kosher feasts, Shabbat over the weighty matters of the Torah. Again, I think Hebrew roots has found a wonderful thing and to say that these things are from the Lord, but it has neglected the weighty matters of that same Torah that the weighty matters that Yeshua told us we ought to prioritize um, I like to think of that as the law of Christ, a prioritized Torah. And Hebrew Roots has often neglected that. So I think Jonathan's right. This is one area that Hebrew Roots needs to grow. We need to refocus on um, what does the Lord want us to do with these weighty matters. And we need to um, amplify that, focus our time, our energy, our discussion on those weighty matters more than we do on Shabbat and on kosher and on the feasts. Well, I think that that is one of the major challenges to to everyone who wants to be a disciple or a follower of Yeshua. Mm. I remember years ago engaging with people who 
theologically would teach that in Galatians six two, the law yes. of Christ, that is a that is instruction that is completely separate, is completely divorced from the <laughs> Torah of Moses. And and you're like, well, okay, I mean then what is this law of Christ? And mm. basically for theologians who promote that, it's the belief, well, it's just love God and love your neighbor as yourself and follow the Messiah's teaching in his sermon on the Mount of Matthew chapters five to seven. I'm like, well, that's kind of interesting because, you know, the sermon on the Mount is predicated on the belief that Moses's teaching was not to be abolished, but to be fulfilled by the Messiah's own definitive actions and interpretations of it. Mm. So, you know, we as, as his followers have got to focus on his definitive interpretation and application of Moses's teaching. And a lot of that involves, you know, character issues of the heart. It involves, uh, you know, these different, you know, significant ethical or moral matters that people whose faith is only composed of, you know, Shabbat and the festivals and, and a kosher style of diet. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. th- there are a lot of things in the Torah itself that the Hebrew roots of it doesn't want to deal with because after all, who wants to feel convicted of sin? Who wants to feel mm-hmm. convicted of their attitude? Who wants to feel convicted yes. that maybe I'm not fulfilling the mission of God the way I should be? Mm-hmm. I mean, these are some very, you know, significant matters that, you know, your friend has, has addressed in, leaving the movement and you know if people are going to go to a shabbat service and they're going to hear a teaching that really doesn't get into any detail on a matter of substance that people in the world and especially the jewish world are having to deal with and it's only going to be some you know mamby pamby you know love your neighbor as yourself but you know doesn't get into the real substance of it or it addresses the latest you know, conspiracy theory about what the government is doing right now when mm. you really don't have a lot of evidence for that. And if, <laughs> if, if your theories are proven false, you're going to lose a lot of credibility. That's right. Or why evangelicalism lied to you about this or lied to you about that. I mean, how are you really furthering the interests of the kingdom? Because, yeah. you know, I want to see as many people come over to our side as possible uh, without looking dumb. If that, you know, I, I want I want to demonstrate that I'm living more like Yeshua by you know, entering into this movement. And you know, there are as as you have listed in this part one of of I'm no longer Torah observant. Address some very very valid uh, concerns that uh, I know that I have tried to raise over many years. And there are people who have listened to me, and there are people who have disregarded me. And I, and I think that we just have to be, you know, perseverant. We have to recognize that we are limited humans. And, but there are a lot of things that, you know, we've been putting aside. We've been sweeping under the rug. And now, regardless of what happens with the vaccine, regardless of who's going to be in the White House, um, <laughs> these kinds of issues are not going away. And, and I know, and I think a lot of people, they use, some of these matters as a smokescreen to put aside what really matters, you know, where do I stand before the Lord and Mm. am I accomplishing the purposes of the kingdom? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think um, a great deal of Hebrew roots folks need to wrestle with these objections that Jonathan has raised because I think too many of us have uh, these, as we said, a lot of these, if not all of them are accurate, maybe, they're not as prevalent as Jonathan uh, sees them or something to that effect. But by and large, this is a problem in our movement. And 
what it speaks to then is a lot of people are spending their energy on things, on, on minors, on the small matters of faith, like the eating and drinking. Look, I love Shabbat. I eat kosher style diet, all that. Uh, but that's not the weighty matters of the Torah. And so I think uh, we, in the folks in Hebrew roots, and I, I count myself as part of Hebrew roots, um, we need to refocus on uh, what Yeshua told us to do, that the, the weighty matters of justice and faithfulness and mercy. Uh, I think if we do this, we'll be accomplishing what you just said, John, which is uh, we'll be carrying out uh, the mission that God has, has called us to um, and we'll stop wasting time in things that make us look foolish. You know, you said you want people on our side without looking dumb. I feel like a lot of the conspiracy theories that we waste so much time on make us appear foolish uh, to outsiders, to other believers, certainly to the world. Um, so I, I really strongly feel we need to mature and, and refocus on what Yeshua said is important. Well, ladies and gentlemen, there you have it. And we have gone through a huge amount of information. Probably Uh, too much, but yeah. (laughs) Probably too much, but these are important matters. And Mm -hmm. we even had to resume after getting cut off uh, because of an act of God. Well, because of bad bad weather. Uh, Mm -hmm. There is a link in the description to Judah Hamango's blog, No Longer Torah Observant. But this thing about, you know, leaving, you know, messianic things, this isn't limited to one person. Other people have gone through this as well. Maybe some of the details are a little different, but ultimately it comes down to how there were things out there that could no longer be tolerated or allowed. And Mm -hmm. some people are like, look, this isn't a good thing for my family. It's not a good thing for my marriage. It's not a good thing for me personally. I need to go be with uh, believers who place the centrality of the work of Yeshua as central. Yes. And other people are just going to, look, I know there are problems. We're going to address these things, and we're going to continue on no matter what happens. I myself last year went through kind of a midlife situation where Mm -hmm. I was ready to quit, and it wasn't just ministry. I was ready to quit. Uh, Mm -hmm. I was ready to just, you know, give up uh, completely. But I also knew, because I could tell there was you know, demonic attack involved. I knew I had to turn to the Lord. I knew I had to resolve a lot of this baggage that I had picked up in, the, in my Messianic experience over multiple years from a lot of these false teachings, you yes. know, people, and, and mainly people rejecting me as a teacher mm-hmm. when I would come in and, and, and provide a, a better answer to them. Uh, yeah, and, and, and things that, and things that I just had, had picked up a lot of bitterness and resentment. I had to resolve it. Uh, and, uh, in the past year, I have been that much stronger as a believer and as a person because of it. Uh, but I knew I had to deal with it. And in a way, looking back on the past year, I feel like I got a, uh, I got, uh, a year head start from what a lot of other people are having to deal with right now because of the lockdowns and because of, you know, Mm -hmm. well, God, when are we in history and what's going Mm -hmm. to happen to the faith community? I I feel like I, in a way, had a a year's head start. Uh, But, you know, with that, you know, we we are having to bring up a lot of uncomfortable topics and, and they can't, I'm not permitted to act in a snarky or a superior way when these things are addressed. I have to be very sensitive and gentle to the needs of a lot of people. So, and, and if I can interject, 
in my decade plus of knowing you and your ministry, John, that's one of the things that um, drew me to your ministry is that you wouldn't respond in nasty ways with snark or or demeaning uh, responses, but it was always respectful and going back to the word. So um, just to tell the Messianic folks watching that, that um, your ministry has been a, a beacon for that, and I'm, I'm really grateful for it. And Judah, I know from paying attention to your blog and some of the challenges that you've experienced that you have done your best to address a lot of these controversial issues in a in as fair-minded a way as, as possible, knowing that you know you've been impacted by these controversies not just yeah. as a teacher but even as a person, and right. you've had yeah. to go through you know difficult circumstances as well. Yeah, um, indeed. You know, this is not you know messianic ministry is not something that is sleek. It's not something that is sexy. It's something that. You know, we get involved with because you know we're concerned about where we are all moving in salvation history, and yep. you know, we have to pay attention to all of Holy Scripture because built into it is this "all Israel will be saved" uh, you know, trajectory. And uh, again, right. you know, in this in this in this first episode of the Messianic Walk, I hope you've been able to find out that the Messianic Walk is not an easy one, but if you're able no. to persevere. I think in the yes. end, the it will be well, well worth it. But right That's now, right. That's right. right. But right now, we are definitely as a faith community going through a lot of challenges. So, uh, do you have any final words for our audience uh, before we close? Just to concur that if we persevere uh, with the Lord's help, we'll press through the difficult issues. You know, I, I think of the the scripture uh, in the Hebrew Bible: "Let us press on to know the Lord." Uh, and that applies certainly to messianic folks that uh, through all of our troubles and our struggles, our wrestlings with these things, seeing people leave our communities, um, it can be, it can be to and then um, yeah, for, for the second uh, podcast that we do together with this messianic walk will address some of the theological changes Jonathan had and give a better response. I think in this podcast, uh, we agreed with a lot of the assessment Jonathan had of the Hebrew roots movement and some of his critiques there. Um, and so there's been a lot of agreement, but I think there will be some disagreement and again, respectful between brothers, um, coming up, uh, with regards to Jonathan's theological changes. So I hope that's beneficial to the audience. Well, we've just had some thundering from the heavens here. <laughs> and, all right. Uh, all right. In North Texas. Uh, and uh, I think that that's a, a sign that, you know, we need to close things up. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, we've talked a, about a huge amount of topics uh, next time with part two, we'll be getting into some of the theological problems with the Hebrew roots movement. Uh, but recognizing that these are things that can crop up at, at any Hebrew roots group, Messianic group, it can happen anywhere. We're, we, we're trying to be as fair and as reasonable as possible yes. uh, because my goal as a teacher is to help facilitate stability. You can check out Judah Hamango's blog, Kina T. Ledzion at blog.judagabriel.com, or you can check out 
my website, Messianic Apologetics at messianicapologetics.net. Until next time, shalom, and may God bless you, and we'll see you then. Shalom, everyone.